You're listening to Sunday Worship at Weddington Methodist Church. Find more ways to worship, fellowship, serve, study, and be supported at weddingtonchurch.org. I invite you to take your Bibles again, if you will, and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. This time we'll begin at verse 15. Last week we began with the first 14 verses of Colossians. Today, Colossians chapter 1, we'll begin at verse 15, where Paul shares a hymn with the church when he says, He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him... All things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that He might come to have first place in everything. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before Him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word, for the privilege of studying it together. And God, as I stand before these, your people, this is your church. So I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I love some of the hymns of the faith. One of the things I really enjoy here at this church is we do four worship services on this campus every Sunday morning. So I have the privilege of preaching four times, four different services. And what I love about it is each of our services are a little bit different. The music's different. The style of the worship is different. And I love coming in and just listening to the lyrics, singing the songs, those hymns of praise, the things that we sing like, All Hell the Power of Jesus' Name, or Majesty, Worship His Majesty. Unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. Or praise songs like, Jesus Does, or I Believe. And then that song, How Great Thou Art, that that one verse is always bring me pause that goes, and when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. There's so much theology and music, 
And in the early church, music was so important because the printing press wasn't around. People couldn't just pick up a Bible. And as I share with you, turn with me to Colossians and you were able to do so. Now many of us can pick up our phones and we have the scripture right here on an app on our phone. We have the scripture so accessible. But in Paul's day, often the church held on to its faith with creeds. It's one of the reasons we share the Apostles' Creed every Sunday and songs. The hymns would help remind us of the faith. And Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 is actually an early Christian hymn, probably not written by Paul, but used by Paul as he was sharing this letter to this powerful church. It's a song of Christology. It's a song reminding us of who Jesus the Christ is, the supremacy of Christ. And Paul uses this to write to this church that he dearly loves. As I shared with you last week, Paul did not find the church at Colossae. He was not the founding pastor. He was not the one who established the church. Actually, Paul had never even visited that church. The people there didn't really know Paul. Paul did not really know them individually. But they knew about Paul. Paul knew about them because their pastor, Epaphras, had been sharing with Paul and Timothy, who write this letter, had been sharing with them how proud he is of the church, of their incredible faith, of their ministry, of their love for the saints, all the things that we looked at last week. And if you missed the opportunity to worship with us last Sunday, we invite you to go back and, and catch up with this beautiful, powerful church. But then Paul moves to what's really vital and that's his theology, his understanding of who Jesus the Christ is. Paul refers to it as the gospel, the Greek word, the euangelion, that good news, this incredible thing that God is doing. He moves to share with us that Jesus is this foundation of the church. He moves to share with us this incredible faith in who Jesus is, and he uses this hymn. Now you may notice the hymn's kind of broken into two parts. The first part of it talks about the image of God and how Jesus is the firstborn of creation. And then we hear that Jesus is the head of the body, the church, and that again, He is the firstborn from the dead. Now one of the things when we translate the Scripture from one language to another, especially with music, with hymns, songs, poems, it's kind of hard to still keep the cadence and the flow when something was kind of written in one language and you're trying to bring it over. So we miss it, but you can see the parallelism. You can see that replication of the firstborn, what's being said here. And Paul uses this hymn to remind this church of who Jesus is. And he said, He is the image of the invisible God. That Greek word for image is actually the word icon. Now, we often think of icons as sculptures or other things, but actually what it means is this is the likeness of, this is the representation of, that, that Jesus is actually the icon of God Himself. 
A God who has been invisible for us to really be able to see, really be able to grasp, really be able to understand this God that now we can look upon Jesus and we can see a representation. We can see who this God is because he is the image, the icon of God in the flesh showing us who this amazing, mighty God is. And this hymn, and Paul reminds, he's the firstborn of creation. Now, it's interesting as well, that Greek word is protokos, or it's where we get the word prototype. It, he, he's that firstborn, he's that, that first example, he's, he's that pattern upon which everything else is to be built. He's the firstborn of creation. We see in Genesis chapter 1 when God creates, the way God creates is He says, let there be, He creates with His Word. When you read the Gospel of John chapter 1, you'll see that John is mimicking Genesis when he says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God. And then we learn that all of creation was created by God's Word speaking the world into existence. Paul's picking that up. This hymn is picking that up going, He is the firstborn, the prototype of all creation. Now there were some in the area who were teaching that you know, some of the elements of creation, you still should worship those too. And so many different cultures and religions will worship elements, thunder, lightning, different things of the universe. And one of the things this hymn is sharing and Paul is sharing is, wait a minute, you don't have to worship those things. You don't have to worship Greek gods like Zeus. Did you not hear that Jesus is actually the creator of the whole world? And thus, He has dominion over everything. There's no need to deal with any kind of lesser thing when you can worship and are worshiping the very Creator Himself. The Scripture tells us Jesus created all things, and all things are subject to Him, whether they're visible or invisible, whether they're in heaven or on earth. It's not just the earth that Jesus is over. All things, heaven or earth, and the hymn, and Paul goes on to say, including all rulers, all powers. In other words, once again, we hear Jesus is the King of kings. This is the Lord of lords. This is not just some good man of God, some prophet of God, some teacher of God. Paul is laying out very firmly this song that the people could sing together, reminding this is who our God is. This is who Jesus really is. Everything was created through Him, and the Scripture says, and for Him, and everything, everything holds together in Him. And then that second refrain of the song goes on to share, and He's the head of the body, the church. He's the firstborn of the dead. Again, He's the prototype, that example, the first one of the resurrection. The prototype that we will then follow, the one that we will then come behind. And then Paul shares... For the fullness of God 
dwells in him. This is not just a glimpse of God. It's the fullness of God. Colossians 1 verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And when you turn the page to chapter 2 verse 9, you'll hear Paul say it again when he goes, For in him the whole fullness of deity, God, dwells bodily. In this Jesus is God himself, the creator of the world, has now come to live in the world. Did you catch that? The creator of the world has now come to live within his creation, among his creation, as part of what he has created. This is God in the flesh. N.T. Wright, again, the biblical scholar from Oxford, says that the great thing about that is that the more we look at Jesus, the more we realize that the true God is the God of utter self-giving love. Sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we misread it and we go, I don't really like the God of the Old Testament. I like the God of the New Testament. One of the things we see here is, no, 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 no. This creator God from Genesis to Revelation, this creator God who's with us today, that's the same God who then takes on human form. And the more we look at Jesus, the more we can see that the whole story of this God is the God of utter self-giving love. And, And what was Jesus doing when He came in the flesh to live among us? Well, look at verse 20. And through Him, God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things... And catch this, we we can be very egocentric in our lives. He, He was pleased to reconcile all things to Himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace through the blood of the cross. This This God desires a relationship with us. I mean, one of the things that that, that we have seen throughout the story is that God created us because He wanted someone to love and to be in relationship with, and and we rebel, but God remains steadfast. I love Albert Outler, one of the late uh, amazing theologians, Wesley scholars. Albert Outler talks about the Bible is a book of covenant-making and covenant-keeping on God's part, covenant-making and covenant breaking on our part. But covenant making, covenant keeping on our part, on God's part, but we broke the covenant. And yet God never gave up on us. And ultimately, Paul is celebrating this hymn, is celebrating as we join together to sing songs. I encourage you, Paul, sometimes we we get caught up in the melody, we get caught up in the music that we forget to listen. This music, this hymn, this song that Paul is teaching and reminding us is that this God comes to reconcile. Now, what's interesting about that is we're the ones who messed up. And yet it is God who makes the move. Do you see the grace there? We're the ones who rebelled, and yet it is God who makes the move to reconcile to Himself all things, to bring us to Him by the blood of 
His only begotten Son, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. You'll hear it again in 2 Corinthians when Paul writes the letter, second letter to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 he goes, That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting then the message of reconciliation to us. God is reconciling, not counting our sins, but giving us a clean start through the sacrificial offering of God. You see what this hymn is teaching in the two parts? That God is the creator, this incredible creator God. Jesus is the creator himself. And not only is God the creator God, God is the redeemer God. That The God who created is also the God who's willing to redeem, to restore, to rebuild. There was an, an article written, and, and it says that, that now the most profound implication of this is that God is not a deistic God. That is a God that merely created the universe and left it to its rules and laws. Rather, this says, in direct contrast, that God has not abandoned the universe to the powers of darkness, but rather has put into motion and effected a plan to reconcile us to Himself through Christ, whose death is the one event that has made this plan sufficient to fully reconcile us to God. In short... This one passage, this hymn, sums up the whole Bible from the creation to the final reconciliation. You can just see Paul get overwhelmed by that. He goes, that's why, that's why Jesus is to be first place in everything because He's the Creator above and beyond all things, and yet He Himself is reconciling all things to Him. That's why you can hear Paul get so wound up when he writes the letter to the church at Philippi in Philippians 2 verse 5 when he says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Now Paul's just amazed by this. He goes, who, though he was in the form of God did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. And he's amazed to tell you, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now here's where the hymn comes back in. He goes on to say, Therefore God has also highly exalted Him and gave Him the name that's above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That's what you hear in this hymn in Colossians. So what does it mean for us? One of the questions that we sometimes ask, we need to ask when we study the Bible is, so what? What difference does it make? What does this mean to me? How does this apply to my life? Well, look at verse 21. And you. This is where we've left the hymn at verse 20. And now Paul takes the hymn, brings it to the church, which means he brings it to us, and he says, and you. 
You were once estranged and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, but hear the grace. He has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel which you have heard. Paul celebrates, we were estranged from God. He even says we had become hostile to God. Our sin had broken the relationship, but God, isn't it interesting? God didn't sit there with his arms crossed going, well, when you come back to me, maybe I'll consider reconciliation. God is the one that intervenes. In the New Interpreter Study Bible, the note on this verse says this. It says, we are part of that creation that is alienated from God. Our sin did this, but the death of Christ makes us fit. The death of Christ makes us fit to appear before God holy and blameless and irreproachable. Scripture said, you know, to present you. You know, if you get into looking at that Greek word again for the word present, it's actually a technical term for either bringing a sacrifice to the altar, like I present this, or it's when an accused person is presented before a judge. I present this person and here's the case. And what we then read in the Scripture is that God then is willing to present us. Jesus, by His grace, presents us. I present to you, the Almighty God, Terry Moore, your name. I present this my church, these my people, holy, blameless, irreproachable. Irreproachable. This is a God thing. And it's why then Paul will then use that same word again in Romans 12.1 when he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I mean, God has presented you by His grace. You now present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. But there is a caveat. Did you catch the caveat? Sometimes we read the Bible too fast. There's a caveat. Look at verse 23. Provided. Provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith. In other words, one of the things Paul's writing is, I am so proud of this church. Timothy is so proud of this church. Epaphras is so proud of this church. But there is the warning. This is what God has done for you. This is this hymn. It's incredible. But hold on. Provided that you continue to be established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope that's promised in the gospel. In other words, you're there now. You are strong now. But remember we wrapped up last Sunday... 
Paul prayed a prayer that you would continue to be strong, continue to grow, continue to be the people that God is calling you to be. And here the caveat is there. God has done all these things and you are so blessed and presented blameless, provided that you don't slip away from this. You see, it's really easy for us to be strong in the faith and strong in our walk. But we can slowly slip away. There, there's a contemporary Christian song that I love as well. It's, it's several years old now, but it's called Slow Fade. Most of us don't just walk away from the faith all at one time. It's a slow fade. When it's just one step at a time, we don't even realize it. And one step again at a time, we don't even realize it. I have an article in a book that's called The Anatomy of Adultery, and, and it talks about how you know people end up in these situations, and, and very few times is it just, boom, here's this decision, but it's the relationship one step at a time. One step at a time. And the next thing you wake up one day going, how did we get here? Or we as Christians go, I don't know really what happened. I was so strong in my faith, but now I feel so lost and alone. I remember one time my preaching professor, Fred Craddock, sharing with us as pastors. He said, preachers, I want to tell you something. If you only read the Bible to prepare a Bible study and you only read the Bible to prepare your sermon, when you're leaving the ministry 10 years from now and you can't figure out exactly why, remember this conversation. We can be strong today, but Paul said you've got to nurture it. Provided that you stay strong, you don't shift, you don't get caught up in these other things. The Wesley Study Bible puts it this way. It says, so the message is clear. Stay true to Christ. Don't chase after fads. Be steadfast in your devotion. N.T. Wright continues and puts it this way. He said, what they need to know above all is if they grow as Christians, increasing in wisdom, power, patience, and thanksgiving, that's the centrality and supremacy of Jesus Christ. The more they get to know and the know the and know about Jesus Christ the more they will understand who the true god is and what he's done and who they are as a result and what it means to live in him paul's so proud of this church but he wants to know 5 years from now he'll still be so proud of this church in colossi 10 years from now i'll still be proud of this church we've been looking at our church and evaluating our church, as we begin this new year, we have a tendency to look back at the last year, and, and it's just been amazing what God has been doing in and through the life of this church. We actually had a finance committee meeting uh, this very week, and one of the things that was interesting is we were talking about how 2021 was the best fiscal year in the history of our church, but last year, 2022, was stronger than 21. God is doing some amazing things. The missions that this church is involved with continues to grow and increases. The discipleship, the number of people in Bible studies and life groups and formation groups and classes and all these things continues to grow. Worship is just incredible. We are so blessed to keep receiving new families into our congregation. We have celebrated beautiful baptisms. God is doing some incredible things. But I think Paul would remind us, hey, God is doing this amazing work, but be careful. you got to remain steadfast. Don't ever forget who this God is. Sing this hymn and remember who this amazing God 
who created and redeemed the world, this prototype, this icon of God Himself in the flesh. Because God may be proud of who we are today, but the challenge is, will we be the church God wants us to be five years from now and ten years from now? Paul says to Galassi, oh, you guys are doing such an amazing job. But hold fast, and I'm going to pray for you. And God is doing great things, but we can never take it for granted. We hold on to our theology. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the Creator. He is the Redeemer. All things, all things come in and through Him. He is above all. If we hold on to our faith and hold on to our practice, God will continue to bless and through the church continue to reconcile all His children to His grace. Will you pray with me? God, it is such a privilege to be Your church. And God, I pray when I read Paul's letter and the things that Timothy and Epaphras are saying about Colossae that, that they would feel that way about us and this church and who you're who you've called us to be and God we want to be faithful to you and God we pray then that we will hold on to our creed and hold on to our faith and hold on to our song and hold on to who you are as our God and never doubting who Jesus the Christ is not getting caught up by fads but kneeling before the one who so loved the world God, we just pray now you would continue to pour out your Holy Spirit on us as the church, wherever we may be. Help us to remain steadfast in our faith, steadfast in our mission to be the body of Jesus the Christ. And that all we do is in the name of and on behalf of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. This is the gospel, the euangelion, the good news. And we will not be ashamed. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.